11 through 24. And I'll give you time. It says, for I, would have, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you heard my former life, my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in my Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had, set, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not know immediately, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to, perse he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. If y'all will bow um, Lord God, thank you so much for a space to come and worship you. Please open our hearts to hear your word. Please open our hearts to listen to Austin and just be in your presence in your name. Amen. All right. Um, thank you, Kate. Welcome to RUF. I, uh, I'm just amazed that y'all come out to stuff like this, and students just never cease to amaze me. Uh, I'm excited to be y'all's campus minister. For those who don't know me, my name is Austin, and I'm the new campus minister here at Ole Miss. It's my first semester, second week. I'm feeling just as anxious and exhausted as y'all are. But um, I just want, and I always try to do this usually, I just want to remind y'all who RUF is for. Uh, RUF is for you. Meaning, it's for anybody and everybody. The only thing that we presume about y'all when y'all walk in is the, the same thing that we presume about ourselves. Meaning, we're deeply human. Uh, we don't have it together. We don't know where life and joy and hope is found. We're confused, we're exhausted, and we really need Jesus. So, I hope you find your place here, and I hope... Ultimately, that you find Jesus uh, if you don't know him. And if you already know him, I hope you find rest and peace in him as you try to navigate college. Last week, we talked about the intro to this book called Galatians. Uh, we're going to be walking through Galatians this whole fall. And last week, we looked at what the gospel is, what Paul is so upset about. We said it was this confrontational letter writing about the gospel that he was trying to defend because all these false teachers had infiltrated this church he loved, and now they're leaving the gospel and they're going and believing something else that isn't giving them what God wants for them. So last week we considered that, and this week we're going to consider the same thing. And we're going to consider it with this text that Paul has for us where he recounts his own testimony. Maybe you've heard that word, or maybe a better way to say it is just his story. His story about how God has worked in his lives. And I honestly think 
It's encouraging to me and I hope to you because what we see in Paul's story is that God works through people who are deeply human. So we're going to look at Paul's story in three questions. First, where does the gospel come from? What does the gospel do to us? And what does the gospel do through us? So first, where does the gospel come from? If you look down at verse 11 and 12 in your passage, what we see is that Paul is kind of making this strange argument. He's saying, look, the reason you should trust my gospel is because I didn't get it from any man. I didn't get it from any school. I didn't get it from my best idea of how life and hope works. The way I got my gospel and the reason you should trust it is I got it from God. I got it from God himself through a revelation in Jesus Christ. Now, when I first read this, I was like, why does that matter? What does this have to do with 18 to 22 year olds at Ole Miss? How does this apply? What does it matter that Paul, where Paul got his gospel from? As I was thinking about it, uh, I thought about kind of like the recent health trends. I don't know. There's not really too many healthy grocery stores in Oxford. Kroger's pretty good. Uh, but in Birmingham, when it, that's where I'm from, we had like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. Man, Trader Joe's. That is a good place. But a big thing with these healthy grocery stores and why they're growing is because there's a growing trend that people really want to know where their food is sourced from. There's like non-GMO, there's free range, there is grass-fed, all this stuff, all these little taglines that help you trust where your food's from. Why do people care where they get their food from? Because we want to trust that where we get our food that what we're putting in our bodies is actually good for us. And the same thing goes with where we get our gospel. What Paul is saying is, look, we should actually think about where we're getting the different narratives that we order our lives around. Meaning we should think about why, why do we think joy, hope, and fulfillment is found there? Is, it really, is the story we're believing that will actually make us happy actually make us satisfied, actually make us whole? Is that a story that has a good source? And what Paul is saying here is not just, hey, you need to analyze the source of where you get the narrative that you order your life around. What he's actually saying is there is no credible source for your story that you order your life around that comes from any man. The only story that you can trust has to come from somebody besides a man. Why is this important? Or why does this matter? Uh, There's a disgraced comedian. I don't know if some of y'all have heard him. Don't go look him up. He's pretty inappropriate. But uh, his name's Louis C.K. He was on a a Joe Rogan interview recently. And he he said this. He He was talking about how obsessed we are with our phones. And he was trying to figure out, why are we so obsessed with our phones? And he said this. He said, underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty, Just that knowledge that it's all for nothing and that you're alone. You know it's down there. And sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching anything, you're in your car, you're not on your phone, you're going, oh no, here it comes, that I'm alone. You know, it starts to visit on you, just the sadness. That quote makes me want a therapy session and a cigarette, to be honest with you. But... I think he's actually saying something really true and helpful. What Louis C.K. is saying is that if you want to find out the meaning of life, how you, want, how you really need to order your life in order to get the things that you want from life, the things we all want from life, you're not going to find it within yourself. 
Because the deeper you go down into the depths of your soul, the deeper you go down to any man's soul, any woman's soul, the less you find. It's void, it's empty, it's lonely. And the the reality is, is nobody knows the answers to these questions that we're all asking, these things we're all seeking. Now, what am I getting at? How does this relate to Paul? Well, I think Paul is actually saying something really similar to Louis C.K. What he's saying is the thing I just said. He's saying, look, you need to trust the gospel because it's the only narrative about your life that doesn't come from somebody's best idea of where you can get the things you long for. It's not just the latest workout routine. It's not our parents telling us how life works. It's not your professor that thinks he's mastered everything. It's not the Instagram influencer that looks like they have it all together. The gospel is trustworthy because it doesn't come from man. And if it came from man, it wouldn't be trustworthy because man is empty. And we don't know how to answer the questions we're all asking. We don't have that capability within us. So the question we need to ask ourselves is where does your gospel come from? Why are you following the narrative of life that you think will make you happy? Where does it come from? What is influencing you? That's a question that a friend of mine, a campus minister in New York, asked a student that we'll call Annie. Uh, It's not a real name. But Annie was uh, a beautiful, successful, driven NYU student. She wanted to become a professional dancer. And Annie was meeting with this campus minister across the table. And she just admitted to him that though she had achieved literally everything that her parents wanted and that she wanted, though she achieved everything that she thought would fill her up, she found herself in a place that was lonely, exhausted. She couldn't cope with all those feelings, so she had an eating disorder. She was in, dysfunction, in and out of dysfunctional relationships. And Annie was finally asking the question, why did I think these things would actually work? We have to ask ourselves the same question. Where does our gospel come from? Is it a credible source? Why are we buying into the things we're buying into? Or is there a better story? Is there a better way? Is there a better gospel to order our lives around? Now, Paul did this. Paul saw the gospel and he's arguing that the gospel is the only narrative that we should order our lives around. And he does it, he defends it by saying, look, here's my story. So we're going to the second point, the second question. What does the gospel do to us? So the last three years, my wife and I, Kristen, uh, down here, come meet us after RUF. She's great. Um, my, my wife and I lived in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And like, no hate on Jonesboro, Arkansas. Please, if anybody is, hears from Jonesboro, don't hear it this way. But Jonesboro is like a, a city that was built right on an interstate. And so like, it's basically a pit stop city where... Every fast food restaurant you could ever imagine and chain restaurant you could ever imagine is there. Like all the places that y'all said you like chicken, besides the local places, those are there. But the Jonesboro doesn't really have anything else that's local, that's like good. There's no Volta, there's no St. Leo. That they don't have those things. And so inevitably every like Friday night, me and Kristen would be bored, we'd be hungry, and we'd be like, where do you want to eat? And it was like a thousand choices and all of them were super, what do I say, mid? Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) They were super mid. Um, Inevitably, we chose like cheap Mexican every single time. Uh, But we still do that here. We're we're pretty easy to please. 
But I think this dilemma that Kristen and I were in on these Friday nights is kind of the microcosm that, of, of the problem that we face as we seek to order our lives, as we seek to try to make the choices that we think will ultimately give us the things that we think will make us happy and joyful and whole. Like, do I want to be the successful pre-med student? Am I going to go that route and order my life around that? Do I want to be the popular, beautiful person, the funny person? Do I want to be the really buttoned up campus ministry person? Is that going to give me what I want? Or maybe we alternate all three of those depending on the semester, all four of those depending on the semester. But here's the thing about Paul's story. Look at verse 13 and 14. Paul recounts his former life when he was trying to order his life according to what he thought would give him what he wanted, what others told him would give him what he wanted. And look at, look at the subject of verse 13 and 14. The subject of verse 13 and 14 is always I. And that's what he's trying to emphasize. For you have heard my former life how I persecuted the church violently and that tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age, my people. So extremely jealous, zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was trying, Paul was living into this narrative. He was enthusiastically living into this narrative that if he could just be the religious person, that if he could just follow God's law, please his fathers, please the traditions, then life would go like he thought. But look down at verse 15 and 16, because the subject of these sentences radically changes. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. I think the contrast between 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, where Paul goes from him being the subject, trying to control his own destiny, his life, trying to figure it out on his own, to 15 and 16, where God overtakes his story, where God becomes the subject of his story and Paul's the object that's being acted upon, I think that's what Christian conversion is. I think that's what understanding the gospel really does to us. It it shows us that we aren't the main character in our story, and it shows us that God is so gracious that when he sees us trying all these frustrating, exhausting, empty ways of trying to fill ourselves up, what he does is not sit back and just let us go do that. What he does is he intervenes. He takes over our story. Now, I don't wanna be like unsympathetic to a lot of people's concerns. I don't know if you've ever asked these questions uh, about God and his sovereignty. That's a big million dollar word. But all that means is he's all powerful, that he has the power to control his created beings. If you look at verse 15 and 16, like that's what verse 15 and 16 is saying. Paul is saying that God is so powerful that he overtook my life and he actually brought me to himself and allowed me to walk into his story, his way. I don't want to be unsympathetic to this because a lot of us get really squeamish when we talk about God's sovereignty. Like, what's the point of life if God God is sovereign? I get that. I get that. I have those same questions sometimes. But I think the question that the Bible is really posing to us is not, is God sovereign? Paul's pretty clear about that. But the question we need to ask is, what does God do with his sovereignty? What does he do with his power? If you look back at Paul's testimony, when Paul was not, when Paul was out of control and trying to control his own life, what did he reap? He reaped division, 
brutality, destruction. He reaps loneliness and exhaustion. But look at what God allows him to enjoy as soon as God takes over his story. He has peace. His self-righteousness turns into self-sacrifice. He's on mission for God as he goes through all these regions. His ambition changed from division to inclusivity. He used to hate Gentiles. And now he's saying, I'm supposed to preach the gospel to Gentiles. He ran from his toxic community to a community of grace. What gives me peace when I think about God being sovereign is not trying to explain it away. It's the fact that he uses his power for our good. He uses his power to show great mercy to people who don't deserve it. He uses his power to reconcile people that are divided. He uses his power to overrule the foolish ways we are leading ourselves to destruction and division, brutality, exhaustion, and loneliness. And the thing is, God doesn't overrule our stories through force, but through love. Like nobody comes to know that God is in control of their story without being fully convinced that that's a good thing. And ultimately, the reason we can trust that is because we come to faith through Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate expression of how God uses his power. Whenever you question God's character, you have to go back to Jesus. Jesus, who was God and yet laid his life down for sinners. Who relates to us not according to our sin, but according to his mercy and his grace. So what does the gospel do to us? Simply put, the gospel is the good news that you have permission to stop trying all these different narratives on. And you can actually just rest and lean in to the fact that you have a God who cares about you. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who controls you. And he's working all things according to your good and his glory. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. So lastly, what does this bring me? Uh, What does the gospel do through us? So one of my biggest failures uh, in campus ministry at my last job at Arkansas State, I I remember vividly sitting across the table from uh, a student at the union, and he was. We were talking about the gospel. We were talking about like, hey, what's keeping you from believing? And he looks at me and he just says, you know what's what's keeping me from believing is not that Jesus loves me. Like I can reconcile. That sounds good. Sometimes what keeps me from believing is the fact that I don't think I'm qualified to be a Christian. Like, you don't know me, Austin. My story's broken. I'm messed up. I've done things that you would just, you would wince at. You wouldn't want to even look at me after. And I know I'll still do things after this. You're a pastor. You're buttoned up. You have it together. I can't be you, is what he said. And I was like, man, the reason that was a failure was because I think I was putting across the vibe that Jesus loves sinners, but he can't use sinners. Like he loves sinners, but in order to be useful in God's kingdom, in order to have a purpose and like accomplish things for him and be useful to other people and bring people to Jesus, like you gotta get rid of that stuff. And you gotta like get rid of your broken story. You have to hide that former part of you. And if you look at verse 24 or 22 through 24, Paul says something incredible. He says, I I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us 
is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. What Paul is saying there is that people are hearing his story. People he hasn't met. This is before the internet, obviously. And like there's the rumor is so of Paul's life is so ridiculous and crazy that people are just spreading it like wildfire. And his story of brokenness, his story of who he used to be is actually changing people's lives in an entirely different region of the world. What's my point in talking about this? What I think gives me a lot of encouragement, and I hope you, is that to be useful in the kingdom, to be a Christian, really just means that we allow God to renew our broken stories. That we don't have to be embarrassed about them. That we don't have to try to hide the needy parts of us. The, the parts of us that still struggle. But that God in his sovereignty, God in his grace, actually chooses to use the most broken parts of us to make the biggest impact. The beauty of the gospel is that, that not just that the worst sinner can be saved, but also that the worst sinner's story can be redeemed and used and not just forgotten. In other words, what I'm saying is, I don't know where you're at right now, but I know you're hiding because I'm hiding. And that's my instinct. And you're thinking that either I can hide from God and he'll accept me, or you're thinking I need to hide from God and others in order to be useful for him. And what this story tells us is that God actually uses our weaknesses. God actually uses our brokenness to change people. That us being honest about who we really are actually gives people the freedom to be who they really are and to simply be needy and broken and need Jesus. And really, that's all Jesus is asking from us is for us to need him. I'll, go, I'll end by going back to the story about Annie, uh, the NYU student. In that conversation with the campus minister, Annie didn't just reflect with all the ways she was struggling, all the ways she was hurting. She also reflected on how God is like overtaking her story and how it's blowing her mind, changing her desires. She says this, the good news that Jesus loved her, she said, this reality made food become food again instead of my enemy. Men are becoming men again instead of my worth. Dance is becoming dance again instead of the master of my life. Because of Jesus, life was worth living for the first time. Do you hear in that story? Annie's not saying, Jesus loves me now because I'm put together. Or Jesus loves me in spite of my old story. She's saying, Jesus loves me in my old story. And he loves me now and he's changing me. And to be honest, I want to glorify God because what he does in people's, like Annie's life. Because that's what he's doing in my life. That encourages me. It encourages me when I want to hide that Jesus relates to us with grace and mercy in the face of all of our weaknesses, in the face of all of our broken stories, and he draws us to himself. He overtakes our story with his love. That's a God worth following. And the invitation is, can you lean into that? Can you trust him? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity um, just to come and consider whether we're a solid Christian, or whether we're, uh, we don't believe any of this, 
We just think it's a privilege to come and consider how you might want to speak to us, how you might want to invite us to relate to you. Just gives me great hope, and I pray for these students that it's the same hope, that you, um, you want to overtake us with your love. We know that in control of our lives, left in control of our lives, we are, we're hopeless, we're exhausted, we're lonely. Redeem us, Lord, um, and help us need you more in the face of our weaknesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.